The following message is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Well, brothers, it really is a joy and a privilege to be here and to open the scriptures with all of you today. Thank you so much, Alistair, for the invitation. I love the theme of this conference, Faithful Servants, Foolish Message, Fearful World. And two sessions have been trusted to me today. I'd like to focus on the servants who bring the message and tomorrow on the message that is trusted to the servants. So today as we look at the servants, I want to speak about the fall and rise of a Christian leader. We're going to look at some scenes from the life of Peter. And so we begin this conference really with a focus on our own personal walk with God. If you would open your Bible, please, at John in chapter 13. We'll be looking at several passages from the Gospels, but starting in John and chapter 13 and reading from verse 36. John 13, 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, Peter, as all of you know, is a mass of contradictions just like us. He is a committed follower of Jesus, and yet he keeps questioning what Jesus says. Uh, sometimes you see him launching out in faith, other times holding back in fear. Think about this. Sometimes he speaks with wisdom that only God could give, and other times he speaks as if he was possessed by the devil. Get behind me, Satan. Authentic discipleship has its failures as well as its successes, but the story of Peter is full of hope because it shows what Jesus Christ can do through flawed disciples like us. Now, when we take up the story here in John and chapter 13, Peter has been following Jesus for three years. And during that time, he clearly has grown and he has made significant progress. But here is something that is very striking, brothers, for all of us here today. Peter's greatest failure did not come when he was a vulnerable new believer, his greatest failure came when he was a mature follower of Jesus. You would think that the longer you are a believer, the stronger you will become. But that is not how it was with Peter. Peter's greatest failure came after he had been following the Lord Jesus Christ for a long time. After years of serving the Lord, after years of following the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what? It is possible to love him less intensely, to follow him less closely, 
and to obey him less completely than you did before. Mature believers can get worse when we should be getting better. And we're going to see today from the scriptures how that happens and how we can pursue a better path. Verse 36 of John 13, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And he's clearly thinking, wherever it is, I'm right with you, Jesus. But Jesus says to him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. And Peter doesn't like this one little bit. What do you mean I can't follow you now? Why can't I follow you now? Don't you realize that I'm ready to lay down my life for you? So here is a man who says to Jesus, whatever you have for me, I'm ready. Whatever you lead me, I will follow. Whatever it takes for me to be your disciple, I'm all in. And I have no doubt that the vast majority of us are as committed as Peter was. You're all in. You are fully devoted to Jesus Christ, and that is a beautiful thing. Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. And notice that John records, verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You read that and you say, how in the world then could such a thing happen? What led to that spiritual disaster? Now, we know that later on in that evening, they walked from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus said to Peter and to the others, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's Mark chapter 14 and verse 38. And I think the word indeed is really important there. The spirit indeed, Peter, is willing. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, I know that you meant it. When you said, I will lay down my life for you, your spirit is indeed willing. You are all in. But Peter, there's another reality that you need to factor in. Your flesh is weak. A willing spirit is a sure sign of a true disciple. But if we're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we need more than a willing spirit. And Peter's problem did not lie in the willingness of his spirit. That was there. Peter's problem lay in the weakness of his flesh. He overestimated the power of a willing spirit and he underestimated the power of his own reluctant flesh. And because he underestimated the power of his own reluctant flesh, this mature believer, this fully committed disciple who was ready to do anything for the Lord fell into spiritual disaster. Now, I want us to see, brothers, today that there are some temptations that come especially to fully committed believers. And I think that's a, a fair description of our gathering here on these days. We're going to look at a sin to which pastors and elders and missionaries 
and other leaders in the church will be tempted, a temptation that is more likely to come to mature and fully committed believers such as we are than to others. What is this sin to which the most committed will likely be tempted? What will rise from the flesh of the most committed? Answer, spiritual pride. There can be no question that this was the root sin that lay behind Peter's disaster. And he fell into it on the very night that he pledged his whole life to Jesus. I want you to notice four signs of spiritual pride in Peter's journey. And as we look at them, I want you to ask honestly of yourself, as I have asked and ask again honestly of myself, are are there any signs of this in me? First sign of spiritual pride, you feel that you are stronger than other believers. You feel that you are stronger than other believers. Over in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26 And verse 31, our Lord Jesus says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, quoting from the Old Testament. And then Matthew 26, 33, Matthew tells us, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, you see what's happening here. Peter looks at these other disciples and he says, well, I'm more committed than they are. They may indeed all fall away, Jesus. You know, it happens to others, but not me. I will never fall away. I just ask you honestly, have you seen that first sign of spiritual pride in your own heart? Have you looked at other believers and thought, you know, the standard of commitment really isn't very high? I'm more committed than they are. Have you known the temptation of looking at your own congregation and saying, I know more, I give more, I pray more, I serve more? Have you ever looked at other believers and felt that you are more stable, more loving, more mature? That's where Peter was. And feeling that you are stronger than other believers is the first sign of spiritual pride. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Second sign of spiritual pride. You hear the words of Jesus for others, but not for yourself. Again, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 31, Jesus says, You will all fall away because of me this night. Couldn't be clearer. Here is a direct prophecy from the lips of Jesus. You will all fall away from me this night. And Peter has his own constructed narrative. No, no, I'm a fully committed believer. And Peter is quite sure, therefore, that the words of Jesus apply to others, but not to him. And again, I wonder, have you seen the second sign of spiritual pride in your own life? You, you hear the word of God and you think this is a great message for someone else. Actually, isn't it the 
besetting temptation for those of us who have the great privilege of being called to preach. We open the Bible. We say, oh, that'll preach. That's a message for others. That's something I can use on Sunday. And it's the second sign of spiritual pride that you begin to hear the word of God for others and no longer really deeply to apply it to yourself. Third sign of spiritual pride is that you no longer feel the need to pray. You remember that in the garden, um, after prophesying that Peter would deny him, Jesus took Peter and James and John with him, and then he said to them, this is Matthew 26 and verse 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you remember how Jesus went on a little further on his own to pray? And then he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And Peter did not watch. And he did not pray. And he did fall into temptation. So here's the question that I ask of myself and therefore ask of you. Are you wholly convinced that you need the help of God to do what he has called you to do? Are you wholly convinced that you are absolutely, utterly dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to live the life that he has called you to live? Because if you are so convinced, you will pray. And if you don't pray, surely that is a sure sign that you don't really believe what we've just been singing. I need him. Oh, I need him. Somewhere in your heart, if you don't pray, you've come to feel that you can do what God has called you to do with or without him. Prayerlessness is the surest sign of spiritual pride. And then there's a a fourth uh, sign of spiritual pride in the story of Peter. It's John who tells us specifically that when Judas uh, stepped forward to identify the Lord Jesus in the garden, it was Peter then who drew the sword and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off uh, his uh, ear. You see what's happening there is Judas steps forward uh, to identify Jesus with the kiss. Peter is thinking, I can't can't let this happen to him. He's fully committed. And so he draws the sword and he's ready to defend Jesus, even if it means laying down his life right there in the garden. And you remember Matthew chapter 26, and I'm now reading from verse 52. Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You know, it's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, do you really think that I need you and your little sword uh, to rescue me? Right now, I could call on 12 legions of angels. Now, I ask you honestly, as I've asked of my own heart, have you seen this fourth sign of spiritual pride in your own heart? That you somehow feel that the entire work of Jesus Christ depends on you. 
Because you see, if you begin to think or to speak as if the weight of the work of Jesus rests in its entirety on your shoulders, you know what that is? It's spiritual pride. Jesus calls us to engage in his work. Isn't that a marvelous privilege, brothers? He calls us to engage in his work, but his work does not depend on any of us. And if any of us is gone tomorrow, Christ's work will still be done. He has more resources at his disposal than any of us could count or even imagine. Now, I found these four signs of spiritual pride to be helpful because they are convicting. Spiritual pride is evidenced when you feel that you are stronger than other believers. When you hear the words of Jesus for others, but not for yourself. When you no longer feel that you really need to pray. And you begin to feel that the entire work of Jesus depends on you. That's what led to the fall, disastrous fall, of a Christian leader. Now, prevention is better than cure. And so before we get to Peter's restoration, I want us to spend just a few moments thinking together about how a fall could have been avoided in the first place. Surely that's a wise thing for us to look at. What scriptural principles are put in place in order to prevent Christian leaders from taking a plunge to spiritual disaster? And let me suggest uh, three to you more broadly from the scriptures. And the first is simply this, the biblical principle to flee temptation. Flee temptation. Now Mark tells us, Mark chapter 14 and verse 54, that Peter had followed Jesus at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. It's Mark chapter 14 and verse 54. But I was struck in reading Hugh Martin on the shadow of the cross that he makes this point. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. That is precisely what Jesus told him not to do. And that's where we started in John 13, is it not? Jesus said to Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Don't try and follow me when I'm arrested. What I'm doing in going to the cross is something that I must now do alone. Your time will come later. Not now. But Peter didn't like it. Spiritual pride's growing in the heart. Well, Peter pushes back. Well, I won't follow closely. I'll just sneak along. And that's what he did. Peter should never have been in that courtyard in the first place. He put himself in the way of temptation that was greater than he could bear. And it was spiritual pride that made him do it. He overestimated the strength of his willing spirit. He underestimated the power of his reluctant flesh. And by going into that courtyard, he was simply asking for trouble. And that story has been repeated way too often. Spiritual pride leads a man to say, I can handle this. 
I can go closer to the flame than others. But God tells us, flee youthful passions. Flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Don't deceive yourself by saying, I can handle this. We have two grown sons who are raising their own families now. When our boys were in high school, one of my sons asked if he could go to an all-night party. I asked a few questions, and it soon became very clear what kind of party this was likely to be. So I told him, no, son, I don't think you should go there. To which he said what any teenage boy would say to his father at that moment. Dad, don't you trust me? And I said to him, of course I don't trust you. (laughs) I wouldn't trust myself. And then we had a really good conversation about this principle. You don't put yourself in the way of temptation. Listen to this from Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26 in the New King James. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Isn't that striking? You trust in your own heart, you're a fool. But if you walk wisely, you will be delivered. Prevention is better than cure. Flee temptation. Second, repent before the wayward becomes willful. Repent before the wayward becomes willful. I learned this from... Scottish pastor, Alistair, will know well by the name of James Philip in one of his writings. He makes the point that every sin involves some combination of the wayward and the willful. And these are mixed together in every sin in different degrees. And the more willful a sin becomes, the darker and more dangerous it is. And I think that you see this in the three times that Peter denied Jesus. At first, Peter simply denies that he's a disciple of Jesus. But you'll remember that the second time, he denies it with an oath. And the third time, he denies Jesus calling down a curse on himself. Each denial was darker than the one that went before. And I wonder if you have seen this in your own life. Perhaps you fell at some point into a particular temptation. And you know, it happened because of the weakness of your flesh. It was an expression of great, great waywardness and you regretted it. But over time, what has happened is you've gone back to it. And 
as you find yourself falling into the same sin on future occasions, the pattern gradually begins to change. The wayward element becomes less, and the willful element becomes more, and this sin increasingly becomes something that you choose. The more you indulge in any sin, the more willful it becomes, and the more willful a sin becomes, the harder it is to repent. So here's what we learn. You repent before the wayward becomes willful. Third, you live in the fear of the Lord. What was it that caused Peter to turn from his defiant and ultimately willful sin? Well, it's Luke that makes the convergence of events astonishingly clear. Let me quote to you from Luke 22 and verse 60. Luke 22 and verse 60 and following. You're told there that Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. This is the third denial. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Luke says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. So here we have the extraordinary convergence in the timing of God of three events. Peter denies Jesus for the third time. While he's still speaking in that very moment, the rooster crows. And at that very moment, Jesus is being dragged out of the house of the high priest across the courtyard And Jesus looks directly at Peter. No words. Just a look. A look of great sorrow. A look of great pain. And no doubt a look of great love. And Peter looks into the eyes of the Lord he truly does love and has just denied and sinned against and his own heart has melted. He's brought to repentance and the sign of it is that he goes out and he weeps bitterly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I found this Definition of the fear of the Lord to be helpful, brothers. The fear of the Lord is so to love him that his frown would be your greatest dread and his smile your greatest delight. And you know, even in this moment, that was true of Peter. He feared the Lord. He really did love Jesus. Prevention is better than cure. Flee temptation. Flee it. Repent before the wayward becomes willful. 
And brothers, let us live in the fear of the Lord, loving him so that his frown would be our greatest dread and his smile our greatest delight. Lastly, in this first session, it's about the fall and rise of a Christian leader. And I want just to draw your attention to how Peter was so wonderfully restored in the story that I know is so familiar to all of us. And let me give you these three encouragements uh, in this last part uh, here in this session. Um, What do you do as a Christian leader when you become profoundly aware of your own need of restoration? of a renewing work of the Spirit of God in your own heart. Perhaps there are a number who have come here for these days, and that's been your prayer. Lord, somehow there's been drift. Somehow the fire has burned low. I, 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 I need in a fresh way to be restored in my own walk with you, my own love for you, my own faith and confidence in you. Let me give you these three encouragements from the story of Peter. First, there is a marvelous promise to believe. There's a promise to believe. Um, We don't know, of course, where Peter went on that Thursday night when he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know where he was the following day, Good Friday, uh, perhaps alone, uh, far from the crowds, But remember, there were some things on that day that wherever he was, he could not have avoided. What did Peter think when darkness descended over the whole land in the middle of the day? And even more, what did he think when after three hours of darkness, the ground beneath his feet began to shake? Matthew 27, 51, the earth shook and the rocks were split. Peter must have felt this was the end of the world. Surely he must have thought, the curse that I called down has come on me and everyone else. God's judgment day has come. And after the terrors of Friday, Saturday, another day of enduring indescribable loss. Is there a brother here whose real battle is to say, where do I go from here? Well, the answer, brother, is that there's a promise for you to believe. Jesus had given Peter a marvelous promise, and it is a promise that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to every one of us too. Luke 22 and verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus did not pray that Peter would be saved from the sifting. Actually, he needed that because of his spiritual pride. But Jesus had prayed that Peter's faith would not fail, and Peter's repentance, of course, was the answer to Jesus' prayer. And notice that Jesus says, uh, when you have turned again, not if, when, because Peter is Christ's own, and he never loses one of his own. Jesus knew that Peter's sin, disastrous though it had been, 
it would not be the end for him. It would not define him. It would not condemn him. It would not lead to his ruin, but it would lead to his restoration. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed for Peter. And the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers, prays for all of us. He always lives to make intercession for us. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Believe the promise. Not only is there a promise to believe, there is, of course, a Savior to seek. The Gospels record nine occasions when the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to the disciples, and Peter was blessed to share in six of these nine appearances. He was not restored only by believing in the promise. He was restored by repeated encounters with the risen Lord. We're not given any details of the private meeting between Peter and the risen Lord that is referred to by the two on the road to Emmaus and referred to also by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. But we are told much more about the appearance of Jesus to the disciples on the first day of the week and then eight days later when Thomas was with them, both of these, of course, in John and chapter 20. And the repeated statement of Jesus is the gift of peace Let me read it to you from John 20 and beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them, Again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you with you. Three times Peter had denied Jesus. Three times Jesus spoke peace to his soul. Peter was restored by repeated encounters with the risen Lord. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And isn't it beautiful, brothers, that it is the Lord Himself who restores? David said this in Psalm 23 He restores my soul. And Peter expresses it so clearly in his own letter, 1 Peter in chapter 5, where he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory, will Himself restore you. He'll do it himself. That was right out of Peter's own experience. The Lord is the restorer of his people. Amen? 
And every one of us in this room knows this in our own life. Think about it. Why is it that after all that you have endured in your life, you are still a Christian? Despite all the sin that remains within you, despite the, all the injustice that is around you, all of the conflict that you've endured, despite all of the disappointments that you may have encountered, all the pain that you may have suffered, all the demands that are upon you, how is it that you are still a believer today? There can only be one answer and explanation. It is that he restores your soul. God's restoration explains your continuing in the faith. And God's restoration guarantees your final arrival in glory. There is a promise to believe. There is a savior to seek. And there is a mission to fulfill. The first three encounters with Jesus, the one we're not told about, and the next two focus on peace. The last three are clearly about commission, taking the last and working backwards from there. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the end, and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or Matthew 28, that you know so well, Jesus commissioning the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. These encounters with the Lord, and they're all about the commissioning of this restored disciple. And of course, we have to end at John 21, where the apostle records Jesus saying to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. (laughs) Oh, Peter had been so confident that he loved Jesus more than any of the other disciples. He was quite sure that he was much more devoted, much more loyal, much more committed than any of the rest of them. That's why he said, well, they may all fall away, but not me. And notice that when Jesus asks him, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? He does not say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. (laughs) He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. There's no more swagger. The old spiritual pride has gone. He's no longer claiming a stronger love or a deeper commitment. No claim to spiritual superiority here. Just, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, feed my lambs, which, of course, is something that Peter could never have done before. A disciple who feels superior to other believers cannot strengthen the lambs. He'll only crush them. But you see, God used the exposure of Peter's weakness to cure him of his pride. He became humble, and becoming humble led to a lifetime of fruitful service. Let's pray together, shall we? Clothe yourselves, all of you, 
with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Father, let your word find its resting place in our hearts and do its work for your praise and glory. For these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Truth For Life. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Truth For Life. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Truth For Life. For additional information about how you can support Truth For Life, please visit us online at truthforlife.org. There you'll find free message downloads from Alistair Begg, as well as links to our podcast, mobile apps, and other resources to help you grow in your Christian faith. Again, the website is truthforlife.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay in touch with Truth For Life and Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, where the learning is for living.